if laughter is important enough to provide the name of one of the patriarchs, indeed the one whose birth made manifest the miraculous continuity of the Abrahamic promise, then that is because the inversion of expectations is itself at the heart of all that Judaism claims about its history. Welcome to Bible 365, Episode 6, The Origin of Jewish Humor, Isaac's Birth and the Birth of Laughter. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In 2001, the scientist Richard Wiseman began what was described as one of the largest and most unusual experiments in the history of science. Wiseman set up an online Laugh Lab, a website that contained two sections. In the first, people submitted jokes they enjoyed. In the second, people answered a few simple questions about themselves, age, background, etc., and then rated how funny they found a random selection of jokes using what was called a gigglometer. Wiseman sought to understand what makes people laugh, and his experiment, albeit unintentionally, is profoundly connected to Judaism, because the birth of the second patriarch is entirely linked to laughter, and that means that laughter is no mere laughing matter, and that an analysis of laughter leads us to a profound understanding of Jewish history itself. We have seen how the Almighty promised Abram, as he stood beneath a starry sky, that he would have a child. But God does not initially explicitly say that it would be his wife, at this point still known as Sarai, who would join him in producing this progeny. And indeed, Sarai seems to despair of her own prospects for motherhood and offers Abram an alternative, a concubine by the name of Hagar. But after Hagar becomes pregnant, the tensions between herself and Sarai lead to the concubines fleeing into the desert. There she encounters an angel. And fascinatingly, in Genesis 16, verse 17, the first supernatural naming in all of Scripture occurs. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. Ishmael, in Hebrew, Yishmael, is a beautiful name, which means God will hear. It is intended to invoke the cries of this maiden who was heard by God when she was desperate in the desert. But the appellation also exquisitely expresses the faith of the father of this child. And we can therefore understand if Abram interpreted it as a sign that his own desires were also heard by God, and that God through Ishmael is providing Abraham the heir to his covenantal mission. It is a reasonable expectation, but it is wrong. As the Almighty expands Abram's name to Abraham, he is told that his wife, now named Sarah, Sarah, will become pregnant and bear an heir to the Abrahamic mission. And though he is in the midst of a dialogue with the divine, Abraham cannot help himself. Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old give birth? Laughter, then, is Abraham's instinctive reaction. It is not meant as derisive, but his astonishment through laughter is expressed all the same. Abraham then asks why Ishmael cannot succeed him. And God stresses that great things will be achieved by Ishmael's descendants, but it will be Sarah's son that will continue the covenant. And here, in contrast to the angel addressing Hagar, we find in verse 19 the first name in the Bible bestowed directly from the divine. And God said, Nay, but Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. Not Abraham, but God gives the name of the patriarch to be, Isaac, or in Hebrew, Yitzchak, meaning he will laugh. 
and it is clearly linked to Abraham's reaction. At first blush, it is striking and strange that such a seemingly prosaic name is bestowed. Naming is a serious business for the Bible, though for others they can indeed be a source of humorous delight. When I was a student in Yeshiva University, there was a legend, later largely verified in an article written up in Tablet Magazine, of an American Jew by the name of Berkowitz who emigrated to Israel, and, along with the Hebrew names of his children, he gave them creative ones in English that would go on their American passports. One of his children was named Charles Danger Berkowitz, so that he could later say, Danger is my middle name. And then this father ultimately gave another child the first name Berkowitz, the middle name James, and the last name Berkowitz, so that his son later in life could introduce himself as Berkowitz, James Berkowitz. This is assuredly amusing, a source perhaps of laughter, but the Almighty's instructions to Abraham are said in seriousness. The name Yitzchak, he will laugh, is not meant as a joke, and yet it is still clearly linked to the human appreciation of humor, to an impulse made manifest in the reaction to the announcement of Isaac's imminent arrival. After Abraham circumcises himself, he is visited by three angels appearing in the form of men, and Abraham, ever gracious, hastens to host them. One, speaking on behalf of the Almighty, announces a date for the fulfillment of the divine promise, and once again laughter results. Genesis 18, verse 10. And he said, I will certainly return to thee at this season, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am grown old, shall I have pleasure, my husband being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am old? Is anything too wondrous for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return to thee at this season, and Sarah shall have a son. The name Yitzchak, he will laugh, then, seems linked to the wondrousness of the Lord made manifest. Isaac's story inspires us to ask, why do we laugh? This is a subject of great debate among philosophers, and the focus of a concise but intense analysis in the book Stop Me If You've Heard This One, A History and Philosophy of Jokes, written by New Yorker essayist Jim Holt. Plato, as Holt reports, posits that laughter is an expression of delight in the downfall of others. In Holt's words, for Plato, all laughter is a slightly spiritualized snarl. The problem, however, with Plato's superiority theory, as Holt further notes, is that there are simple little jokes that are just enjoyable, that in no way make manifest a malicious intent. But there is, as I noted in an article in Commentary on which I am expanding here, another theory of laughter that this writer discusses, one linked to Immanuel Kant. Professor Weissman notes it as well. He explains, quote, One theory of why we find jokes funny revolves around the concept of incongruity. The idea is that we laugh at things that surprise us because they seem out of place. It's funny, he continues, when clowns wear outrageously large shoes, people have especially big noses, or politicians tell the truth, end quote. Or, as I might add, when a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman become patriarch and matriarch. And as Wiseman further notes, more sophisticated jokes also vindicate this incongruity theory because, often, a punchline's humor lies in an inversion of our expectations in an apparent incongruity between the setup and the punchline. Thus, a highly rated joke for Wiseman's website describes Sherlock Holmes and Watson camping at night. And as they lie on the ground, Holmes asks Watson, Watson, what do you see? 
And Watson replies, well, I see millions of stars. And Holmes says, what can you deduce from that, Watson, from the fact that you can see the stars? And Watson studies the stars and deduces from the constellations, the next day's weather, and other extraordinary astronomical insights. Then Watson asks Holmes, what does seeing the stars tell you? A silence. And then Holmes says, Watson, someone has stolen our tent. We laugh because what is revealed is not what was originally expected. And this, perhaps, is the essence of Isaac's name. In his commentary on these biblical passages, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch notes that in Hebrew, the words for screaming and for laughing are extremely similar. Tzaak, screamed, and tzahak, laughed. The link, he writes, is that screaming and laughter are both symptoms of surprise. They express that something incongruous with our expectations has occurred. Both are reactions to something that, based on our assumptions or our limited logic, we were not expecting to happen. So if something tragic comes to pass, then in surprise we are tzoek, we scream in alarm. If something wonderful occurs, then in surprise we are tzoek, we emit peals of laughter. I would suggest, then, that the symbolism of laughter in the tale of Isaac's birth to Abraham and Sarah lies in the ultimate incongruity, the ultimate wonder that he embodies. The promise is fulfilled. A baby is born, and Abraham, obeying the initial instructions of the Almighty, circumcises his son, and Sarah references laughter once again, now entirely in awe. She understands that the incongruous has occurred, and she knows that others will understand this as well, that the incredible fact of a 90-year-old woman giving birth will itself be a source of delight for many. Chapter 21, verses 2, 3, and 6. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Sarah said, God hath made laughter for me. Everyone that heareth will laugh on account of me. Sarah laughs here not in mockery of herself, but rather in delight at the unexpected that has occurred. A reflection of the theory that laughter lies in incongruous inversions of our original expectations. Professor Weissman, fascinatingly, further describes a part of our brain that is intimately involved in humor, the prefrontal cortex. He writes that, quote, interestingly, people who have damaged this part of the brain often lose their sense of humor. Why, he continues, should this section of the brain be so important to our sense of humor? Weissman explains that, quote, most jokes work because they surprise us. They set us thinking in one direction, and then we hear the punchline and realize that there is a completely different way of seeing the situation, end quote. The prefrontal cortex, he further writes, quote, plays a vital role in the type of flexible thinking needed to understand a joke. It makes sense of the punchline and produces a strong sense of surprise, end quote. Thus, if laughter is important enough to provide the name of one of the patriarchs, indeed the one whose birth made manifest the miraculous continuity of the Abrahamic promise, then that is because the inversion of expectations is itself at the heart of all that Judaism claims about its history. It is against expectations that one tiny people would change the world. It is an inversion of expectations that this people would defy those who sought to destroy it again and again. It is an inversion of expectations for Jews to exist today. Thus, at every circumcision, immediately after the child is named, a verse from Isaac's story is suddenly cited, Genesis 21.4, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And then the assembled crowd at the circumcision immediately erupts and proclaims, 
Hodu lahashem kitov kili olam chasto. Let us give gratitude to God, for His loving loyalty endureth forever. Why does the citation of this very verse provoke this reverent response? We can now understand, ladies and gentlemen, that the tale of the baby boy named He Will Laugh teaches all of his descendants that every Jew born to men and women today, old or young, is in a certain sense as miraculous as Isaac. And to this we laugh in delight and in gratitude to God because the continuation of our story is the most delightful inversion of all. In 1979, Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin arrived at the White House for the signing of the peace accords with Egypt. As he sat beside Sadat and Carter, about to achieve a highlight of his career, he chose not to engage in self-celebration, but to speak instead of his parents who were murdered in the Holocaust and of the psalm that they sung in his home as a child. Begin said, This is the proper place and the appropriate time to bring back to memory the song and the prayer of thanksgiving I learned as a child in the home of my father and mother that doesn't exist anymore because they were among the six million people, men, women, and children, who sanctified the Lord's name with their sacred blood, which reddened the rivers of Europe from the Rhine to the Danube, from the Bug to the Volga, because only because they were born Jews, because they didn't have a country of their own nor a valiant Jewish army to defend them. Here Menachem Begin spoke of the horrors of the past, but his words in the moment also captured the wonders of the present. Could there be any greater inversion of expectations, ladies and gentlemen, than the fact that a people murdered throughout Europe would immediately afterward establish a state in their homeland that would become the mightiest in the Middle East? And then, putting a skullcap on his head, Menachem Begin intoned the words of Psalm 126 in Hebrew. The translation is, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the nations, the Lord hath done great things for them. For all the sadness in their story, Jews understood that the name Isaac, he will laugh, is not prosaic but profound, that it speaks to the fact that we live as Jews today. The sociologist Peter Berger, who is himself not Jewish, once suggested that Jews love jokes because, quote, the comic experience provides a distinctive diagnosis of the world. It sees through the facades of the social order and discloses other realities lurking behind the superficial ones, end quote. Laughter, in other words, expresses the idea that there is more to life than meets the eye, that our expectations can be undone, that in Weissman's words, there is a completely different way of seeing the situation. Superficially, the Jews may have seemed to some rejected by God. To many, it must have seemed that they lived lives devoid of any reason for joy. But to think this was to miss an essential part of the picture to ignore an Almighty who maintained a close connection to His people, and to fail to understand what every Jew in prayer confidently predicted, that one day an incongruity would occur, the expectations of anti-Semites overturned, and the prophetic prediction of a return to Zion would be vindicated. As I speak these words, the Jewish people are about to begin the saddest period of its calendar, when the destruction of Jerusalem and all of our tragedies are commemorated and relived. But we who believe that the God of Abraham is also the God of Isaac, Know now that it is not incongruous in the face of this remembrance and grief to also embrace the miraculous in our lives with joy and to pray with faith that we may have many more inspirations for laughter yet to come. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together next week, signing off.